You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. today, just uh, a good reminder this morning to be praying for those uh, with Hurricane Harvey or Tropical Storm or the flooding and all that's going on down there is to remember them in prayer. And um, I'll do that here again when when I pray as well and and would ask you to be praying um, even as a church. What's our response? Uh, uh, Monetary or maybe maybe individually there's some sort of help. Different good organizations, research that out, figure that out, uh, find a good one. Um, or even physically, uh, would God have us as a church somehow help out in the future? There would be a long recovery, and maybe God would put on one of your minds to say, Let, let's go, let's go down. I don't know how God would work, or through something maybe more local, but we'll trust Him for that. So just want to mention that. Let's turn in our scriptures to the book of Mark. Uh, again, chapter 9, uh, where we left off, uh, we, had to, we had to make a two-part sermon here out of maybe what you could see as one part. And so we'll look again, Mark chapter 9, I'll read verses 42 through 50, that's the whole portion of it. We're going to really try to just um, draw out the last two verses here, look at those before we move on to chapter 10 next week. As you're turning there, we'll show our picture from last week. This came from Lincoln. And uh, Lincoln gave me a stack of papers. So I chose two, Lincoln, with some happy fish and people on it. So uh, we were, you know, the other pictures were good. They had the hand being cut off last week and the foot. This was the least bloody of them. Uh, That's not why I chose it, though, okay? So Lincoln's got some cool pictures of the happy people and fish and God's creation there, so I'm thankful for your creativity, Lincoln. So that's what he was thinking of last week, amongst all your other eight pages, right? So, all right, well, let's let's look into our text and read through chapter 9, verse 42 through 50. Let's hear God's word to us. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye then with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let me pray for us. Lord, we just pray again that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in what I have to say through your word today. And may the various places we go in Scripture 
Your Word to us. May You reveal Your will to us. Your greatness in salvation and justifying sinners and in Your call to holy living as well. Those things are not separate, but they're together. So guide us to understand this the best we can. We just pray for Your work in this. We pray right now for those uh, in the path of Harvey that we're in the path that are dealing with flooding Lord, those brothers and sisters that are, that are probably worshiping You today, some maybe under a tarp somewhere or on a street corner. Maybe they're in church down there and they're, they've had a busy week of helping out others. We just pray for our brethren down there. Pray that You would strengthen them to preach the Gospel amidst their phys- meeting the physical needs of the people. And uh, we just pray that Your name would be praised amongst the people. That those who have lost everything Lord, would not curse You, but they would bless You and look to You during this time. Guide us as a church and our response, maybe money-wise, maybe physically, Lord, how we might respond to this. We pray for wisdom and You'd raise up those among us with that kind of charge, that kind of desire. Lord, we lift all these things to You, committing our time and Your Word to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. There is a word that perhaps comes to mind, and I think it's central to this passage in front of us of Mark. It's a word that perhaps has fallen, maybe not fallen, it always is, fallen on hard times. And it can send waves of just kind of misconception or misapplication. It's the word holiness. Holiness. You might say consecrated. Or sanctified. You might even say religious. Although we've got to want to define that. Following after God in such a way that we take measures to cut off sin or put it off and, and live for Christ. I, I think one could argue that Jesus has in mind here the idea of holiness in this passage. He's really laying out, and he has been laying out the cost of following him. If you if it's a page turn for you back in chapter eight, verse thirty four, he was saying to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. You hear cutting off again there, uh, but whoever loses his life cuts off his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. He goes on in verse thirty six for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. There's a, there's a radical cost to my life and to your life for following Christ. I think in our section here, Jesus, He's laid out in verses uh, 42 through 48, just this idea of holiness, cutting it off, what, what, dealing with sin. And holiness here, it's doing whatever is necessary to cut off sin in your life. Again, I don't think Jesus literally means the, the actual hand or the, the, uh, the foot or the eye, but He's making a point. None of you have gouged out your eyes this week, so you, you heard that, but we don't want to miss the... the, the 
the emphasis or the stress of what it's saying. It's not like, well, because it's not literal, I don't really have it's dealing with it and looking at it carefully. Holy living or discipleship, same thing, involves radical measures in order to cut out sin. So I want to address one question as we're kind of finishing up this section in verses 49 through 50. We're thinking about salt and fire in the believer's life. Um, I'm going to admit just up front, it's a difficult section. It's, it's hard to be uh, crystal, salt crystal, hard to be crystal clear here uh, on the salt. But by God's grace, we're going to do our best. We're going to seek to answer some of these questions and, and hopefully we'll, we'll warm up our Bibles going here and there to look again for, for how we can understand this portion. But before that, I just want to address just one question. And perhaps it is, it's in the word holiness or cutting off of sin or the warnings of this, this passage, the warnings of eternal flames of hell that, that we can ask. That, again, I think we asked this last week, does Jesus mean to imply a salvation of works? Is this something, if I don't cut off my hand, and I know it's not literal, but if I don't cut this off and sin, am I, am I bound for this eternal suffering? For, is this a work that I've got to do? You know, I thought it was the blood of Christ that saves us, not ourselves. Is, is Jesus here, is he teaching that we have to do something in order to be saved? We can answer that question with a simple answer. No, right? That's simple. No. And, and we'd be right. We're saved. Again, the, the soul is of the Reformation. We're going to celebrate in October. Faith alone, by God's grace alone. In who? Christ alone, for his glory alone. Christ suffered on our behalf that He might bring us to God. And so that answer, that's 100% true, that answer, but we want to be careful as well. And Kevin DeYoung has really helped in pointing this out that when we come to passages kind of like this, to not not knock the the legs out of what Jesus is teaching, to to not... go through here with the danger of saying, well, yeah, cut it off for sin. It's bad, but we're saved by grace. So you can just kind of put a big red X through that. We don't really have to look at this carefully or think about these things or we don't really have to cut off anything. We, we want to look at this carefully. We don't want to be found Xing out certain passages of Scripture, or passing over them because they're they're hard to reconcile with with the right grace of God through Christ. So let's try to give a balanced and biblical response here to this question of holiness and salvation. What is how do we look at sin and living for Christ? And how do we look at holiness in light of being saved by grace? And so we're going to get to the salt, but just a slight deviation. And I want us to head where Milt already read from this. I love when God is at work. So we're in first John five. So go there. It's already been read to us. We'll look at it again. But go to 1 John 5. So we're asking a bit of a question coming out of studying this. What's a saved person look like? What about holiness in a life? And I think the book of 1 John is a good place to go. There's other other places, but this this, um, is helpful here. As we look at First John, I'm just going to read again what Milt even read through us, and we'll read into chapter two. Just hear, hear the word of God here as we think about what a what a believer in the Lord looks like and holiness. How do we hold these together? 
says again, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All right, we're going to continue it on a little bit further. My little children. Little ones. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And none of us know the true heart of everyone. And certainly we all we can play the the Christian act out of a love for God, but God knows he knows the heart. And I think I see here in first John, there's kind of a twofold way to look at the believer in discerning one, the true believer, the follower versus the one not in Christ. So just just a couple observations, five of them for who. What about the one in Christ? What does he look like? Just brief summaries. Number one, the one in Christ desires to walk in the light of God. That's what he looks like. Number two, the one in Christ acknowledges his or her sin. That's in verse nine. We confess our sins. We acknowledge we're sinful. We've not arrived. Number three, the one in Christ looks to his advocate. That's the first verse of chapter two. We have an advocate. He looks to Christ. Verse three of chapter two, the one in Christ keeps the commandments. And lastly, the one in Christ then walks in the same way of God. So there, there's one in Christ and what he or she looks like. First John is telling us that. But the one who claims Christ but is, is not his own, they claim fellowship, but they're not, they're not his own. Here's what he looks like or she. This one lies, who says he's with Christ, but he still walks in darkness. And we might hear he's not cut off things. Uh, Number two, this one who says he's in Christ, but not really says he has no sin. He makes God to be a liar if he says he has no sin. This one who claims Christ, but he's not his own. He doesn't obey the commandments of God, even though he claims I I know him. And lastly, he does not walk. Verse six. Doesn't walk in the same way that Jesus walked. So here in first John, we don't see the word of God saying all believers will never sin again. But there is a distinction in what a true believer in Christ, or to use 
even later on in this in this book, first John four, seven, those born of God, what they look like, they walk in the light, they acknowledge sin, they seek to obey God. Not to save themselves, but it's a result of the working of God in their lives to desire him. They're born of him. Fruit looks like the tree from which it is born. Apples look like the apple tree that they came from. That's what, that's what the believer is to look like the one he's been born of. God's people will look like him who birthed them. So there is a striving. There's a walking with there's a, there's a real day to day living for him, for God. But as believers in Christ, disciples, followers of Christ, we never graduate or move away. This is what we've got to keep. We never graduate from looking back from our absolute dependence on the cross of Christ for salvation. Here's what J.R. Packer says. He wrote a book on uh, keeping in step with the Spirit, on the Holy Spirit. And he says this in there. He says, holy people. That's what we're talking about. Holiness, holy people, glory, not in their holiness, but in Christ's cross. For the holiest saint is never more than a justified sinner and never sees himself in any other way. So holiness must and does begin and end with Christ. But it is also worked in us by his Holy Spirit through sanctification, through the ongoing dying of self, cutting off hands, feet, eyes to live for our new master. And so in this light, we're back in Mark chapter 9. And we want to think about the good of fire and salt. So look at Mark 9, verse 49. It says this in verse 49, Mark. For everyone will be salted with fire. The actual wording of this phrase, it might be the most helpful for our understanding here of what Jesus means when he speaks of salt. So literally it says, for all by fire will be salted. I think we can see here, whatever salt may mean, in this context, Jesus, he's using it in the same way as saying fire, so that salt and fire refer to the same things. That that makes sense? Everyone will be salted with fire. So what's the salt? It's a, some sort of fire. We don't know all yet. We don't understand it all, but there's some sort of salting with fire. Well, who's salted with fire? Who's the everyone? Certainly, we can see the unbeliever, the one whose name is not written in the book of life. They'll be thrown eternally into the lake of fire. So there's a, there's a sense in which there'll be fire will come upon them. But I think in the greater the context here, verses 42 through where we're at, it would seem that Jesus has in mind believers, disciples whom he's talking to. So in one sense, yes, unbeliever and believer will face fire. But here Jesus has in mind his own, his own that will be salted with fire. It just becomes really a matter of when you face fire. You face suffering, cutting off now. Momentary suffering for eternal glory or lifelong suffering for momentary pleasure. But here I think, again, focus on the disciple. So we're safe to assume here, at least the best we can understand, salt means fire. 
So then let's, let's read verse 50 in light of this. Okay? Well, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now I'm going to try something. And this gets maybe a little confusing, but we'll just try it. So if we're saying fire is like salt, so let's just try it. Verse 50, fire is good. Hmm? Good fire. That would be another good title for this sermon. Good fire. But if we read it, fire is good. But if the fire has lost its fieriness, how will you make it fiery again? Have fire in yourselves and be at peace with one another. All right. Well, we're going to seek to seek to understand this a bit. You remember last week I mentioned all the betters you heard as I read this passage again. Better uh, in this all the different words that say better again. Uh, better to be thrown into the sea than cause a little believer in me to sin. Uh, better to cut off the hand. Better to cut off the foot. Better to tear out the eye than be thrown into hell. And now we see in verse 50 the word for better one more time. And this time, guess, guess what's better? It's, it's salt. Or you could say fire. So literally the Greek here reads better or good the salt. Good the salt, good the fire. Or we translate English, it sounds a little better. Salt is good. All right. Salt is better. But if we just laid out here that salt here is fire, then how is fire good? That's the question. We're going to look at two answers to this. Here's answer number one. Salt fire is good because of God's gracious work in our lives in fiery trials. I think that's being salted with fire. Salt fire, it's good because of God's gracious work in our lives in fiery trials. We'll look at a passage for that. And then number two, we are to have salt fire in ourselves. And to live in peace with one another. So we have salt, fire in ourselves. We'll look at that, number two. So number one, the good salt, God's work in our lives. I, I want to go um, to 1 Peter. So head to 1 Peter. It's towards the, towards the back of our Bible here. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Now Peter is, we haven't talked about this a lot, but... Still kind of behind Mark's authorship of this letter. So sometimes when I go, what's going on? or how I, I, I tend to look through First or Second Peter to see if maybe there's some hints or some clues that help us understand because Peter being behind this. And I think there's some helpful things here in First Peter. And so we can be grateful. So I'll first read First um, uh, Peter 1. I'll start at verse 3 and we'll just read through verse 9. And then I'm going to read another passage here. So listen for it. We're trying to understand. How is fire good? What? Here's what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So there's that birth of God. It's not something we did. He caused it. He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. Now here, just hear the... The hope here, inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And now he speaks about fire. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we're hearing the word fire in here. Gold perishes, though it's tested by fire. There's a testing of our faith. You've been grieved by various trials. But what's it been found to? It's been found to result in praise and glory at the uh, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, one more place. Just flip over. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Let me read uh, through verse 19. 4, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. But these are Beloved. That's how he starts. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. It's all good. It's fire good. It appears to be good. Don't be surprised when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? We know that from our... Mark passage, verse 18. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer facing the fiery trial, those who suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Testing fires will come. You, disciple, me, we will be salted with fire. So don't be surprised or don't see it as a test of getting into heaven. That's God. He's caused us to be born again to an imperishable inheritance. That's a testing of faith that refines us. It's making us holy into the image of Christ. And it shows God is at work in us. We can welcome the salt of trial in our lives as God's gracious provision of revealing His work of faith in you so that when you've withstood, when you've not wavered in that trial, you've remained faithful to God, your God-given faith may be seen as genuine and God may be glorified through you in the fires. That's one way to look at this salt fire. You will be, so I can't get away from this praise, you will be in Mark 9, you will be salted with fire. It's not that we're salting ourselves, but we're going to get to that. It's that there's a salting, there's a fire going on. It's God's gracious provision to refine. Even you know, the Greek word, I think, for fire, I don't know if right here in Peter, I didn't look it up, but it's pure. I mean, there's, there's even the word for fire is pure. So you think of purifying, God's purifying salt, fire work 
in our lives. The real good fireworks are God's work in our life. Well, back to Mark 9. Um, There's a work of God to salt us, fire us in the flames of trial, to refine us, use us for His glory. But then Jesus here in the last part of verse 50 asks uh, a question. He, He does say salt is good. And then He says, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? And then He adds, have salt in yourselves. This is... A little harder here. What, what's, first of all, I think we can answer. What's the answer to Jesus' question? His question, how will you make saltless salt salty again? How? The answer is you can't. It's, no, you, it doesn't. And again, I don't claim to understand this phrase fully, okay? But at least in the, in the context, I think we can look at this as we look at the same warnings above, the cutting off the hands, feet, gouging out the eye. We can look at the same... In other words, don't lose your saltiness. Deal seriously with sin. Do you see sin in your life? Cut it off. Don't let it fester. Are you causing another to sin by your actions? Stop it. One way to look at salt here is that of the salt that was associated with sacrifice. Uh, Leviticus 2.13, you can look it up later. It speaks of the grain offering and that it shall be seasoned with salt. Uh, it says this. It says, with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. And there's the salt of the, the covenant. And there's some different things going on with salt. But in one sense, salt's associated with fires of sacrifice. There's sacrifice and there's salt. And somehow they're together. I don't know if it's salting the sacrifice. I don't understand it all, but they're there together. Again, the language, what's the language? Romans 12, 1. What are we to do? We're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, Paul says, which is your spiritual worship. So, because of who you are in Christ, therefore, have salt in yourselves. In other words, disciple. Deal with sin seriously. As a living sacrifice, don't presume upon God's patience in that sinful action you've been involved with. Listen to what, here's what one commentator, James Edwards, says uh, on this passage. He says, in the present context, fire and salt appear to be symbols of the trials and costs of discipleship. Discipleship to Jesus lays a total claim on one's life. Let us not miss that. This is not a, I'll, I'll do it Sunday morning. I'll do it Wednesday night. This is 24-7 claim on our lives. Let me keep reading his words. In the language of sacrifice, it must be totally consuming or it is worthless. Rather than consuming believers in frustration and failure, however, trials make their walk holy and acceptable to God. The disciple who takes up the cross of Jesus and follows on the way to Jerusalem, who nurtures the faith of another believer, that's kind of what um, verse 42 is dealing with, is what he's pointing to, who willingly forsakes things precious but injurious to the life of faith, is himself a holy sacrifice, 
a living sacrifice according to Paul. And he's quoting there Romans 12.1 again. I think we need to go to one more passage that is helpful. And this is the last place we'll head to so you can turn there with me as we think about salt, God's fire, uh, trials in our lives, having salt in ourselves. What does that look like? I find Hebrews 12 helpful. So let's lastly look there. Hebrews 12, it's not mentioning fire, but it's the similar idea here. Hebrews 12. How do we tie these these ideas together? God refining us and our striving for holiness as a living sacrifice. Here's what Hebrews 12. I'll just start with Hebrews 12, 1 through 11. A little extended, but you'll hear it now that we've been we've been in Mark. We're, we're thinking fire, salt. Trial says here, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You hear this? Lay it aside. Sin that clings closely, put aside and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Where are we supposed to look? Verse 2 says, looking to Jesus. Eyes striving towards holiness that never get off the cross. Okay, So verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Here it is. But He disciplines us for our good. (laughs) It's for our better. (laughs) That we, why? Why? That we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline, like fire, seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God is at work in the believer's life. He has begun a good work. He'll be faithful to complete it. He will discipline us for our good that we may share in His holiness. So let the fiery trial, that salty trial that seems painful, Allow it, say, Lord, I welcome this, that you would yield fruit in my life, fruit of holiness and devotion to my God. Look on, just a couple more verses, verses 12 through 14. 
Hebrews. Therefore, it says, so in light of God's discipline, so that's kind of the the fiery trial, the salt that he's bringing in our lives. What are we to do? It says, therefore, what? Lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. In verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So in light of God's work in you, strive for peace and holiness. God is at work in you, you in Christ. You're no longer in bondage to the old man. You've been set free by God's work. Now now live like it and strive and seek holiness. And it's going to involve work and muscle. I want to have Christian come on up. I asked him if I could use his help today. I did not know that hair, that uh, Christian would get a haircut for this fine time of helping me with this sermon. <laughs> but this is a football injury. It's not an injury. It's just part of This is a good thing. So you're on the football team. So you're going to work perfect for this illustration as we wrap up here. I have two things beside me. Uh, that would be part of a training. This is our little training mini camp. Christian, I want you to just 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 give me five five reps of that thing. Just tell me how that feels. There, I did ten, by the way. <laughs> no. yeah. yeah, yeah, he's got It's pretty weak. You know what? What coach is there that would say, "Hey guys, go take a cardboard roll and just go." Go lift it. You know, just put in 50. You'll, you'll get there eventually. Get it in. Okay. Now this thing, this is heavier. I'll admit that, but probably not as heavy for you. Now just do that five times. I mean, yeah, yeah. Give me five. There you go. That's three, two. All right. One. Good. Harder than, than this. Okay. It's harder. You've, you probably don't feel anything yet, big football player, but I would feel a little, you know, what do we feel in our muscles? Burning. Fire. Right? I bet you work out ten times, a hundred times harder than this, right? Is it burn and there's, your muscles are burning? There's a fire. But now, Christian's going to go use those on the football field to clob or whoever, or go run out and catch a pass or do all these things. Because he's been trained and he's worked. That's the point. We're not we're not to just lift and go, yeah, Lord, thanks for saving me. I got it, and I'll just move on. We're to do the hard work. And he's with us. As you're doing this, you can just hold this up. Just picture God. He's with us in this. And he's bringing us bricks and saying, here, yeah, okay, you got that trial. Here's another one. And he's bringing us that burning that we would grow in him. Let's welcome those times. Let's seek them. And if need be, cut off, not literal, but hands, feet, eyes, not for our glory, not that people see, wow, what a holy person, to see what a great God, a great God that saves and transforms uh, the image to that of Christ. Christian, stay up here. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you for your work in our lives. It's a gracious work. And I pray that you would do this work in our lives, that we would welcome trials as your grace. 
Lord, forgive us, because we often see them and we want to get out of them quick. We don't recognize we're being trained for godliness, to walk with you, to know you more, to see you in greater ways, to look on our founder of faith, to say, I trust in Christ. I continue to trust in Christ. So Lord, guide us to welcome those. And then Lord, the heavy lifting that you've called us to do, to count the cost and to lift heavy. Maybe maybe it's getting up earlier. Maybe it's speaking to someone we don't want to talk to. Maybe it's initiating a gospel conversation that we're scared to go do. Maybe it's loving somebody. Maybe it's treating our kids with, with respect and love and joy. Father, guide us to do that hard discipling work by your Spirit. We thank you that you do lead us. So we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen.